You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Our Bible reading today is from Matthew 24, verses 1 to 35. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and many will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, and the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or Here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. 
and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Great, thanks for that. Um, and as always, have the Bible open in front of you, and we're continuing our series, The End According to Jesus. And the question here that comes straight out of the passage tonight is, what will be the sign? Jesus, what will be the sign that uh, you're coming, that the end is about to happen, we really want to know. And uh, the reason why the disciples are asking this question is because they're excited. Um, they've been stirred by the fact that they've been walking around in Jerusalem and they kind of know that Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem on his mission as the Messiah to become the great king that was hoped for in the Old Testament. So they're in Jerusalem and they're walking around the temple and someone happens to just say something about the buildings. Something along the lines, we assume, of, wow, look at all these impressive buildings here in Jerusalem. Maybe there's someone, someone from the country, they're not, they're not really a city slicker, they've come in here and they're impressed by all the marvellous buildings. And then Jesus says, look what he says here. He says, do you see all these things, these impressive structures and buildings? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, for the disciples who are on a bit of a different program to Jesus, this has got them champing at the bit. Uh, we saw last week, right, that when Jesus said, I'm going to die on a cross, Peter was like, what the heck are you talking about? He had a completely different vision for the coming of the kingdom and it had nothing to do with death. It had all, everything to do with triumph and victory and glory and overthrowing the Roman authorities who were, in their views, severely oppressing the Jewish religion and the Jewish people and uh, Jerusalem. And so he hears this, Jesus saying, everything is going to be raised to the ground. And he's going, awesome, warfare, we are actually going to come here. Um, and there's going to be this sort of, not just a renovation, but a kind of knockdown rebuild. And Jesus, we're ready for it. We're, we're thinking dream world. They're thinking this exciting place where all their dreams will come true. That only really works for a kid, I think. Like we went to Queensland uh, last year and my kids loved dream world. They just couldn't get enough of it. It was their fa favorite theme park. And for them, they're thinking of this physical, glorious place full of blessing. Bring it on. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Judas came to betray Jesus and the soldier went to arrest Jesus and one of the disciples whipped out a sword and whacked off his ear? Do you remember that? Cut off his ear, sliced off. He's ready. He's ready for a fight. Ready to stand with you, Jesus, in taking Jerusalem and making it the glorious epicenter it's meant to be. And this feels like fighting words to the disciples. And what they're asking for is, God, just give us the wink. Give us the nod. The secret handshake. 
the, uh, the coded expression. So we know when to be ready to draw the sword. When is this going to happen? This cataclysmic event which will usher in your glory. Because we're there, we're up for it, we're champing at the bit to fight with you, Jesus. They've got a very triumphant view of the coming imminent uh, kingdom. But Jesus has an answer for them which is long, it's pretty heavy, and it's really helpful for them. And honestly, an answer they don't truly process till way after the cross event, but also an answer that is super helpful for us. He says to them a few things here in this passage and there's this long speech about the sign of the end. When are things going to wrap up? When will the temple be destroyed? And when will the new kingdom come in all its glory? He's got a long-winded answer and I've, I've cut it up into three sections here. I've got three headings. The first one is a long, cold winter. First of all, he summarises the sign of the end. What is the sign that your kingdom, Jesus, is coming in power. What's the sign? Well, Jesus has answered, not what they wanted, a long, cold winter. This is going to be the overarching theme of the last days, the end of the age, which precedes me coming in all my final manifest glory. A long, cold winter. Look at what he says there from verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Not quite the answer they're expecting. Definitely not the answer they were hoping for. It's going to be a long, cold winter. Nations will come and go. Kingdoms will rise up against one another. There'll be wars and rumours of wars and it'll be such a long, arduous time, the end period, before I finally come back, that my disciples, many of them, will grow cold. They will give up hope. They will lose their zeal. But, he says, but, he says, and it's good for us to hear this, this is a sign of the end. This is a sign that there is an end. 
This is a sign that you can be sure the Son of Man is coming in all his glory and power. At the end of the 19th century, and I was like uh, trying to find it just this afternoon, but I couldn't find it. There was this quote by a woman who was a, a futurist, someone who was, you know, uh, wrote a lot about what we can expect in the future. And on, on the, uh, at the end of the 19th century, so late 1800s, she wrote um, with glowing and positive terms about the 20th century. Um, you know, it's just on the, on, the, on the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. Things are going gangbusters. They, uh, technology was progressing at a rate they could not even imagine. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, pr production was increasing in terms of being able to produce food for people and, and sort of mass agricultural sort of processes that could feed the masses. Nothing could stop us. And so she talks about the 20th century in utopian terms, and she means it absolutely sincerely. She really believed that the 20th century would be the century in which humanity arrived at its goal. She believed that in the 20th century, we would reach a state. It's just around the corner, just over the horizon. We will reach a state where our medicine, our technology, our governance will be so advanced that there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no pain. There'll be food for everyone. There'll be no need for anyone to go without. She really believed it. That was the late 1800s. And how would you reflect upon the 20th century? A lot of good things happened. A lot of amazing things happened in the 20th century, right? But it's also known as one of the, if well, it actually is the, the most bloody history, uh, most bloody century in human history. The 20th century is known as the, as the most bloody century in human history. World War I and II. The war that can never happen again. The war that we can never forget. The Holocaust. Wars, rumours of wars. And Jesus says here that the fact that humanity keeps on falling into these cycles, right? It, that's the sign that there is an end. That's the sign that the Son of Man is coming. But it's going to be a long, drawn-out process. And understand the times. He, he sort of puts it here in not entirely negative terms, right? He says there, doesn't he? You can read this really horribly negatively, but he says there in verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Understand the times. If, just say you got pregnant, um, and again, uh, many of us will find that hard to imagine, but just imagine you get, well, all of us probably would find that really hard to imagine, but just imagine we get pregnant, and just, just say you really didn't know what pregnancy was. Like, for some reason, I don't know, you're, like you're stuck on a desert island and, and I don't know, you, yeah, with some guys, infants, you're dropped off and you had to try and work stuff out yourself. And well, one thing led to another and one of you, you know, the woman got pregnant and, and, uh, and, um, and she, I know, sorry, sorry, I should have, I should have had a, a, some sort of rating on tonight's talk. Um, but just say you got pregnant and just say you really didn't understand what was happening to your body. What, how do you think you would interpret the signs? Wouldn't you think, as a woman growing a baby in your tummy, that something was going horribly wrong. 
you'd feel constantly uncomfortable. Perhaps you get morning sickness. Morning sickness. And as it goes along, it doesn't go away or get better. It gets more cumbersome, more painful, more uncomfortable. And then your tummy starts just um, popping, <laughs> like, like, like popcorn in a microwave. You know, what the heck is going on here? I'm not very good, am I? Sort of <laughs> you can tell I've never been pregnant. That is the truth. I might look it, but no, I've never. <laughs> so, you know, you, you think, what the heck is going on? And just imagine labor. You, would be, you wouldn't be thinking, would you? You would not be thinking. Just say you believed in a God on this desert island. You just believed in some deity. You wouldn't be thinking, would you? I, I, am, I am right on the cusp of the greatest blessing or one of the greatest blessings of my life. No, you would think I am utterly cursed by God. I'm about to die. My tummy's about to explode. And I'm sure this is the end for me. Little does she know that this is just the beginning of something beautiful, something amazing. And Jesus is saying here that there needs to be this long, drawn-out period that is just the beginning of birth pains. Because, you see, in this time, while the world is madly trying to reach utopia but just keeps on going back to cycles of war, in amongst a lot of good things as well, but just keep on going back into these cycles of war against nation against nation, kingdoms rising and falling, while they're trying to reach utopia, what's happening? Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why is this so brilliant, this long, cold winter? Because subversively, the kingdom is out, going out to the world. And if you see, if Jesus came back right now, when he was with the, with the disciples, and, and, and really did just overturn everything and make Jerusalem the epicenter of God's blessing to the world, that would require judgment of all wickedness and evil. That would mean if he came back in all his power and glory right now like the disciples want him to, that would mean the vaporization of anyone who was not on the right side of God. But the much better plan is the long, cold winter. Just let the evil in the world potter along while we get the gospel out to the nations. And the fact that evil just keeps on coming back into the world and popping up in, in this way, then that way, it's a sign that the end is yet to come and it will come. There'll be relief. Hang in there, Christian. And notice here he's saying there's no, there's no particular sign here other than the long, cold winter. So be ready. Keep persevering. Don't let your love grow cold. Second point here is that at the, at the, at the centre a part of the uh, fundamental nature of the sign of the end is a cataclysmic core. A cataclysmic core exists in the end times. That is, cataclysms for Christians that Christians face are typical as a part of the sign of the end. Look at what he goes on to talk about in verses um, 15 to 21. It's a very challenging passage to understand, so I'm going to do my best. But I want this to be 
a springboard for you to go and wrestle with it yourself because various commentators, various Bible nerds really debate uh, how to put this all together here in this passage. But as far as I can tell, this is what's happening. Look here in verses 15 to 21. Here, Jesus goes on to talk about Jerusalem. So get this, get this. The disciples want Jerusalem to be restored to all its glory. But Jesus goes on to talk about Jerusalem's utter demise. And he wants to say, expect that. Not Jerusalem being made this glorious epicenter. Expect the demise, the utter destruction, the distressing, the distressing demolishing of Jerusalem. Expect that. That's what he goes on to say there in verse 15. Look what it says. So when you see... So I've just told you about the long cold winter, right? So therefore, therefore, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Don't know what he means by that, but then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. What were the disciples champing at the bit for? They were champing at the bit for the vision of Jerusalem in Isaiah, which elevates Jerusalem and has all the nations streaming in because they're hungry for the, for, for the blessing that comes from God, God's rule. They want everyone to be streaming into Jerusalem. And what does Jesus talk about here? He says, because of the cold, long winter, don't be alarmed when people actually Flee from Jerusalem. You're expecting the ingathering to Jerusalem? I'm telling you what's actually going to happen is there will be a fleeing from Jerusalem. So don't be alarmed when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation. There was a famous instance in which the Jews could point to where there was this abomination that causes desolation set up in the temple seemingly in fulfillment of Daniel. Daniel talks about this, you know, that the temple uh, are being defiled and it's part of the end time scenario. And around 200 BC, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, the, um, is that right? Yeah, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, the king of Assyria, rather, um, invaded and he, in the temple, he sacrificed a pig in the temple, an unclean animal for Jews, sacrificed a pig to Zeus. And it was so outrageous, so awful to the Jews that it inspired the revolt of uh, Judas Maccabee, who uh, you know, led a, a bunch of uh, guerrilla fighters to fight against Syria and their invasion. And Jesus is saying that's going to happen again. Jerusalem is going to be brought low. Um, you know, the, the temple is going to be destroyed. Foreigners are going to trample all over you. And that's what happened in AD 70. In AD 70, Jerusalem was sacked, razed. 
the most awful thing that the Jewish person could think of happening to them happens. And Jesus says here, expect it, be ready and flee and pray for nursing mothers and pray it won't happen in winter because it'll be a time of such distress. But what's interesting here about the rest of the passages Jesus goes on is he's talking about this discrete event, right, which seems like a moment in time. But then he goes on to talk about that same event in a way that stretches it way beyond one moment in time. Look at what he says there in verse uh, 22 onwards. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So look, if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So do you see how that one event he predicts about Jerusalem just bleeds into all of the end times? Can you see that? He says there'll be many false messiahs, many false prophets. And then he says after that particularly distressing time, then the end will come. But he stretched it out over a really long period of time. And it, and it leaves you somewhat scratching your head. What's going on here? And I think uh, the best read of it is that he, it's, he's saying this is a, a typical event. That's why I've said this second point. Uh, it has at its core this cataclysmic event, the end times, the, the, the sign of the end is coming, will be peppered with these events for Christians. But don't be distressed. Don't be distressed. They have to happen. That's what happens when the Son of Man has not yet come in all his power and glory. I, um, I think of a story about a woman named Charity who, who lives in uh, Nigeria. And they have uh, in Nigeria um, uh, Boko Haram, who, which is an Islamic group. And they want to see Nigeria living under Sharia law. And there are lots of Christians in Nigeria. And so they go around persecuting anyone, actually, and even killing anyone who's, who's anti their agenda. And that name, Boko Haram, means um, basically anti-Western teaching. They think that the West is polluting their nation and they want to get rid of it and establish this Muslim rule, Islamic rule. And they associate Christianity with the West, not really quite right, but that they do. And so they want to eradicate Christians. And Charity is a Christian living in a village um, of fellow Christians. And one night when it was dark, this is just recently, 
This happened just recently, in the last six months. One night, her, her brother came running into her hut and said, we've got a flea. The alarm was sounded. Uh, you know, the soldiers are coming. And she fled hastily. She grabbed her, her infant child and just strapped her to her back. And ran. she's got two other kids, but in the, um, the ruckus, she lost track of them. And she fled with the village into the night. And they went and hid in a nearby cave. And she said all through the night she was whispering the name of her two other children, just whispering. They had to be quiet so they wouldn't be detected by the soldiers who were coming to raid their village and kill them. She was whispering their names. And there was no response. And the next day they got up and they went back to their village and it had been razed to the ground, completely destroyed. And there was a report that there were people from her extended family who were caught, who were left behind and were killed in the attack, in the evasion. This happened just recently. And she said she felt so distressed and sick to her stomach. She said she couldn't eat or drink because she was so afraid for her children. She went searching around for them. She couldn't find them anywhere. Thankfully, a week later, they showed up. They showed up. She said she was overjoyed. She couldn't believe her fortune. My friends, that for them, of course, just imagine if they, they could easily have been, been killed. They could easily have died. For her, it's her world coming crashing in her around her. She couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. She was so distraught, so distressed. There are these cataclysmic events that just keep on happening, peppered throughout history. Here we're very sheltered, but in China, in India, there's severe persecution in places against Christians. Of course, in Africa, all over the world, there are pockets where Christians are constantly being persecuted, where it's dangerous to say that you stand for Christ or with Christ. In the Muslim countries, of course, But uh, Jesus is saying, this is, this is the program. This is how it'll be. This is part of the sign of the end of the age, this kind of distress. Don't let your love grow cold. Hang in there. Persevere till the end. And I compare her story, Charity's story, with another Christian story. Uh, his name is Creflo Dollar. I love the name. <laughs> I can't quite get over it. His name is Creflo Dollar. Surely he changed it by default, but it's Creflo Dollar. He's a very well-known evangelist preacher in America. And he's uh, what they call or term a prosperity preacher. He's got two Rolls-Royce cars. He's got a private jet. He has three multi-million dollar properties. And there is nothing wrong at all with being a rich Christian. There's nothing wrong at all with being a stinking rich Christian. We are considered, in world terms, stinking rich Christians. You're not evil. You're not bad for being wealthy or rich. And you are. I am. That's not the problem. The problem is that Creflo Dollar holds himself up as an example of what it means to be blessed in the end times. 
what it means to be blessed by Jesus in this season. He holds him up as a sign of God's coming, God's power, God's glory, demonstrated in him and all his wealth and his you know, gold chains and jewellery and jets and cars and houses. And Jesus says, wrong. That's not the sign that I'm here, that I'm powerful, that I care, that I'm coming back. The sign that the end is coming is the long, cold winter. Understand the times. And rejoice in them, right? Because it's the beginning of birth pains. This is a necessary gloomy time for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Hang in there, Christian. Don't give up. Don't let your love grow cold. And then he goes on. Don't go to the next point. Then he goes on to my next point, but don't go to the next point on the slide. (laughs) Then he goes on to say this, and I want you to wrestle with this with the person next to you for a little bit. Then he goes on to say this. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How do you read verse 31? Truly, I tell you, disciples who are asking about, you know, what are the signs of the end, Jesus? When's it going to happen? And he says to his disciples, they're with him. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things that I've just talked about have happened. How do you make sense of it? Shoot, go. A couple of minutes with the person next to you. Okay, let's uh, bring it back in. Um, anyone game to have a crack? Anyone game to have a, have a crack at that? What, what do you think is going on there? How do we make sense of that in the light of uh, the rest of the passage? All of this will happen before this generation passes away. Come on, someone, I'm sure. There are no, well, there is a wrong answer. There probably is a wrong answer. But let's just say for a moment, there's, pretend there's no wrong answer. Pretend there's no wrong answer. <laughs> well, look, it's tricky. I don't know what you came up with. It's tricky. But, um, but uh, um, Martin, you, you missed your moment. You want to say something? Yes. yes. Bring it, Martin. This could be your moment of glory. Um, well, we didn't actually come up with an answer, but we said like five different options. Um, five different options? Something like that, yeah. So Woo. one of them is like this generation could be referred to like mankind. Yep. That's one interpretation. That is one interpretation. Generation actually means... Like a race of people, like humanity. Yep. Uh, another one was that, like, when he says all these things, he was actually referring to like a specific part of it. Yep. Um, another one he's referring to all of it. So sorry, just to make it clear, everyone. Another another idea is that when he says all these things, he's just referring to a little bit of it. Yep. Yep. Um, maybe like he's referring to all of it, but he means like the part with the trumpet could be kind of referring to the resurrection. And it's like, it's kind of started, but it's not fully completed. Yep, so third option, he is referring to all of it, but what he's really zeroing in on is the resurrection, which could sort of work with the trumpet bit. And, yep. yep so I, think I thought you had five. <laughs> we, we probably did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we probably had five. He says, like, uh, we actually got about ten. Every... One specific person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so, so those three interpretations are actually all the ones that people put forth as possibilities. And I'm going with the last, the last one. That is that, uh, and, here, and now here's the third point, the, the third slide, or the next slide. I, I think what's going on here is a cross-shaped co collapsing of history. This is, this is what um, uh, 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 really gets the core of the end. What, you know, what is the, the sign of the end? What is the sign that the end is coming? Well, a cross-shaped collapsing of history. That is, when he says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all, all these things have happened. I think what he's saying is that you know, when, I, when I die on the cross and I'm raised to new life, you are seeing the end from the beginning. When I die on the cross and I'm raised to new life, it's the beginning of the end and it is also what makes the end certain. It's the beginning of the end and it's what causes the end. It's the beginning of the end and it guarantees the end. And it's a foretaste, a foreshadowing of how this will all pan out. When I'm raised to new life, I am raised in glory. I'm raised with a resurrection body. I'm raised as, a, as, the, as the first fruit of the new creation. And friends, that's the thing above all to hang on to. What is the sign of the end? Jesus lived, died, and he rose again. That's the sign, the great sign that the end is coming. He rose again. Victory is ours. It is right to interpret this season like birth pains, a joyful suffering, a hopeful suffering. You see, here in this passage... Jesus is not trying to just be depressing. He's not trying to build into you as a Christian a persecution complex. He's not trying to sort of smack your hand the moment you feel like you want to jump up and be joyful. No, Christians, we're not like that. We're the frozen chosen. No, that's not what he's doing. What he wants to offer us is a countercultural understanding of the end which produces in us a countercultural hope. He wants us to really get this. Here is a countercultural but true understanding of the end, where, where history is heading, that produces a countercultural hope. And it will require discipline as a Christian and hard work and perseverance and don't let your love grow cold. I've said it so many times, don't let your love grow cold because this is locked in. It's going to happen. This is the sign of the end. Hang on to that counter-cultural hope and live differently because of it. Let me end with this story. There's a, there's a woman in my church who is, is now dead. She's passed last year, but she was the most beautiful woman, one of the most beautiful women I've ever met in spirit, in character. <laughs> yeah, my wife's just quickly scanning. My wife's not here for some reason. <laughs> but she was just such a wonderful, beautiful, hopeful, joyful Christian. And she was so spirited, she was always giving me stick about something, but just in a lighthearted way. And she was so passionate about the gospel, right till her last breath. One day I got talking to her after church, and she was talking about how uh, back in the day, a long time ago, she was a missionary in PNG with her husband and, and they had their kids with them. 
and she was in some sort of distant village away from anything that looks, felt like civilization in PNG, trying to spread the gospel, and one of her kids became sick, got a, got a bad fever. So they had to walk through, I don't know what, the jungle, the bush or something, to, 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 to a town where there was a doctor, and it took them half a day or a day to get there. They got there with their sick child, um, and the, tire, the, child, the child began to sort of perk up. And they monitored the child for a while, and uh, the child seemed to be getting better. The fever sort of subsided a bit, and so the doctor gave her a clear bill of health and just said, you can go home. So she went home with her child uh, to this village where they were you know, there to preach the gospel, and then the fever came back, and it got much worse this time. This time when she went to go back to see the doctor, on the way her child died. Really tragic, really awful. And she said that she got to the town um, and of course the child was dead. They buried their child in that town. And she said, this is what really got me, she said many years later they went back to PNG and visited that village where they buried their child. And a lot of development had happened and they'd built a road over her grave. I, I, it just broke my heart. Built a road over your child's grave. And, uh, and here's the thing. You think, wouldn't that, that, that kind of thing, I feel like has the potential to make you better for life. But she was one of the most joyful, hopeful Christians I've ever met. And, uh, you know, that's what Jesus is saying here. It's going to be a long, cold winter. It won't feel triumphant. It will feel hard and there'll be lots of obstacles and many things that batter you around. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you a counter-cultural vision of the end that you might have a counter-cultural hope. And she did. How about you? Will you be like that when you're 70 or 80? Even more fight up for Jesus than you are now. Well, it'll take discipline. Cold, long winter. Don't lose your love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.